by Dale Campbell. And I will be reading from the Good News according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So this week we're continuing in Mark's gospel, Mark's story of the life of Jesus. Last week, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, the house of worship, where he was confronted by a man with an unclean spirit which he proceeded to cast out. This week's text takes place that same afternoon, you know, after they, they, instead of going to Smitty's after church, uh, they decide to head to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon and Andrew being brothers, both disciples he called just days ago. And Simon and Andrew live there with at least Simon's wife, and Simon's mother-in-law. The mother-in-law is in bed. She's been disabled by a fever. Now, seeing that there's no antibiotics or Tylenol, this illness is probably on its way to killing her. So she's pretty much done for. She is pretty much done for. But then, Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives and he just pulls her right out of bed and then she's right in the kitchen making lunch. Five minutes ago, she was dead, more or less. Now, thanks to Jesus, she's tossing a meatloaf in for 12 for an hour 
at 350. Now this sounds like a pretty straightforward miracle story. A woman is sick, Jesus heals her, she's right back at living pretty neat, isn't it? It's pretty neat. As usual, though, there's always more to the Bible than meets the eye. There's always more neatness going on under the surface. There's always more meaning. And uh, Jerome, a 5th century preacher and teacher, interprets the fever symbolically. He interprets it symbolically. Not only does Jesus physically heal this woman, it is a symbol of something deeper that's going on. Jerome puts it like this, so that Christ would come, he says, or that he would come to our house and enter and heal the fever of our sins by his command. So many vices, he says. So many vices, so many fevers. For Jerome, as I said, the fever is symbolic. In addition to the physical fever, Simon's mother-in-law suffers from the, quote, fever of our sins. Fever of our sins. Now, I know that this word sin can be a trigger for some of us. For some of us, it was basically used as a way to catalog our wrongdoings and condemn us. The words, for some of us, the word sin has become sinful. Now, who would have guessed that that would ever happen? But in the Christian tradition, sin is bigger than our individual transgressions. In Scripture, sin is a power at work in the world. Sin is the brokenness at the heart of human life. All that is at work in us and in creation opposed to God's power for life and the flourishing of life. It's like a gravitational force pulling us into its orbit and away from the goodness and mercy of God. Sin is why things are the way they are and not the way that they should be. Sin is a power in the world. So the mother-in-law's fever isn't just a fever. She's got the universal human disease. For sickness is sin. She's got a serious case of the human condition. She's got a serious case of the human condition. Now, while I think that Jerome's right that the fever also symbolizes the sickness we call sin, there's something he misses in this passage. He talks about anger. He talks about vice. So many vices, he says. So many vices. Can't even name them. But there's something that helps us get a little less general about sin, something a bit more specific about the nature of our disease. And remember how Jesus just pulls that woman out of bed? Immediately the fever leaves and she gets right back at serving Jesus and co. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, you had your rest, Grandma. Now get back to work in the kitchen already. Make Jesus some eggs. I mean, it's not exactly the most feminist of images, you could say. But that word there, service, is so crucial. The word service is so crucial because it's the same word Jesus uses later when he talks about what it means to be great in the eyes of God and the God's kingdom. 
It's funny because James and John, who are with Jesus in today's scene, later on they ask Jesus for a seat at his right hand when he comes into his kingdom. Like, when you're king, Jesus, we would like a piece of the power pie. Make me defense minister. Make my brother minister of finance. You know, we want to be great like you, Jesus. To which Jesus replies, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. You know, they were looking out for their self-interest, but greatness in Jesus' eyes is not equated with prestige or power or self-seeking of any kind, but greatness is measured in humble service. Jesus himself says, I came not to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. This woman is healed, she's cured, so she can serve. So she can minister, that's another translation of the term. It's my term, the term that you call me, which means servant, helper. So she can minister, so she can turn outwards towards the love of God and love of neighbor rather than only love of self that may not be how life is but her life is now how life is supposed to be selfishness self-interest and self-centeredness these are not strive worthy symbols of sacred status but simply more symptoms of that underlying disease we call sin the fever of sin is not only holding her back from service it's killing her keeping her from who god created her to be. The fever of sin is not only holding back, it is killing her. And the truth is, Simon's mother-in-law, like Simon's mother-in-law, the disease is killing us too, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, we could talk about selfishness in the abstract we could talk about how the world is being destroyed by greed corporate power economic disparities in the global south which yeah is all true but these are merely symptoms of our underlying disease this gets a little we should get a little bit more specific we tend to think about human greatness the good and beautiful human life as a kind of libertarian freedom whether coming from the left or coming from the right or the middle our culture encourages us to seek power and status to look out for ourselves above all else to project ourselves through the world through electronic means for the sake of affirmation in the form of likes i heard a commercial last week for international travel that said you were made to indulge your desires you were made to indulge your desires i don't think that's the voice of jesus to be honest We've been told and we've been taught that, this, that the kind of life we're created for is independent of other people. It's powerful, free from restraint and obligation, the ability to be what we want and do exactly what we would like. I mean, our culture hasn't made us selfish. It's always been out there. It's just stopped discouraging it as much as maybe it did once. All with the promise that this, in the end, will make us happy. But it's just not true, and we know it. We know it because we're not happy. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, deaths of despair, general malaise, the breakup of families, the fraying of communities, these are sharply on the rise. Materially, most of us have got everything we could ever need 
but like Simon's mother-in-law, were wasting away in bed. Selfishness, self-centeredness. The elevation of ourselves is not the cure to what ails us, but it's a symptom of that fever, the universal human condition, the fever that is killing us spiritually and otherwise. We got the fever. And selfishness is a symptom. Now, selfishness is killing us. It's true. Individually, as a species, it's clear something needs to change. Now, at this point, I could simply turn to all of you and myself and say something like this. You need to stop being so selfish and start serving instead. Okay, you say. I could say that, and it would probably be true. You and I might feel bad for a little bit, might do a couple less selfish things for a little bit, but sooner or later we'll be back to square one yet again. I mean, imagine pulling a chair up beside Simon's bedridden mother-in-law and saying, you need to be well. You need to not have a fever anymore. Have you tried that? I mean, it's a disease of the human heart we're talking about. No one can perform open heart surgery on themselves. No, what we need for a disease is a treatment for the disease. One that comes from the outside. We just can't do it ourselves. You know, today's passage is so short. Actually, the whole passage isn't that short, but the part I'm talking about, the first paragraph, is only a few sentences, but there's just so much packed into it. There's one little detail that the whole, that little story hinges on. The whole gospel hinges on this little detail. You might even say it's a detail that history itself hinges on in this little scene with a mother-in-law who's sick. When Jesus enters the room, the one where Simon's mother-in-law lays dying, it says that he came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up. He came and he took her by the hand. He lifted her up and the fever left her. This is how the fever breaks. He lifted her up. She's cured, she's free to serve because Jesus takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. Jesus lifts her up out of bed. And you hear what that is? Does anybody hear what that is? It's the sound of resurrection. It may be the first sign, the earliest overt reference, or oblique reference maybe, to what's about to happen to Jesus at Calvary in the Gospels. Jesus betrayed and abandoned by the selfishness of his feverish friends. Jesus nailed to the cross, succumbing to the disease called dim sin and death on Good Friday, only to be lifted up out of the tomb on the third day by the power of God. Lifted up. Jesus performs the same cure on Simon's mother-in-law on the first Sabbath of his ministry that would be applied to him on the first Easter Sunday. She's dead on the bed, and he lifts her up back to life, and she kneels to serve. Grace, then gratitude. 
Resurrection, then service. This is resurrection, plain and simple, doing for her what she can't do for herself. He takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and frees her to serve. And this is the pattern of God, not only in the scriptures, but in our lives. We are dead, and we require a resurrection. We need something from the outside. We need a cure from the outside. The truth is that we can't cure our selfishness on our own. We can't truly love God or our neighbors without help. We need to be lifted up. We need to be raised from the dead. We need to be lifted up. We need to be raised from the dead. And luckily, or perhaps providentially, that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. Luckily, or perhaps providentially, the promise of the gospel is this. We are not on our own in our illness. You are not on your own. As Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking into our lives. He has come to raise the dead, to lift you and I out of the tomb of selfishness and into the kingdom of selflessness. On account of the selflessness of Jesus on the cross, we've been delivered from this illness that's killing us out of selfishness and into service. So we can experience true Happiness, not any of the false happiness that we've been promised of independence, but dependence on one another and service to another. To be great in the kingdom of God is to serve, and Jesus has come to lift us out of selfishness and into service. Why don't you just go to this one of the slides with the picture on it, the painting. Not that one. We're past that now. Go, to, go back one more. Go back one more. There we go. Let's just do that. You know what all we got to do? All we got to do is stop pretending like we're not sick. All we've got to do is stop pretending that we're not sick. Resurrection is impossible unless we accept the fact that we are dead. Help is impossible unless you actually need it. But the promise is, the good news is, that Jesus has come to help those who cannot help themselves. You know that thing where somebody said, the Lord helps those who help themselves? Complete BS. The Lord helps those who can't help themselves, which is everybody. Which is everybody. Later in the service, we'll all be invited to the table of the Lord's Supper and join in the sacrament of Holy Communion, a foretaste, a sneak preview of the day when all creation is delivered from selfishness into selflessness and service at the throne of God forever. At the table, each of us will be given the gifts of bread and wine, medicine for our spirits, prescribed and administered by the great physician himself. May you, may we, like Simon's mother-in-law, 
receive treatment for what ails us. May the Lord himself take you by the hand and lift you up out of selfishness and into selflessness so you may serve as he serves and love as he loves. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.